Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Timer Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. Coming up here in just a few moments, going to be joined by two spectacular guests. That include ESPN's Diana Rossini. She covers the National Football League. We'll talk about the draft and get her insights on the Chiefs and more coming up in just a few minutes from right now. Also joining us today is NASCAR driver Ricky Stenhouse Jr. He's here to talk about how his season is going and a look ahead to Talladega this week and also to Kansas Speedway in just a couple weeks as well. Joining me, as always, is Thomas Bridges TV. What is uh, happening? As we're recording this, I'm watching the uh, Thunder Blazers game, and whether the Thunder pull this out or not, I I feel like I'm watching my life flash before my eyes because uh, whether they win tonight, you know, that that just means that they're going to push off the inevitable, and they'll just lose later on and be eliminated. Then, I mean, there's there's no way they're coming back to beat Portland. I mean, this is this this is pitiful. It's Oklahoma City. I guess that's what I should have come to expect with this team. Yeah, I mean, we're you're not only watching your life flash before your eyes, but uh, Billy Donovan's watching his job flash before his because the inevitable is going to happen, uh, whether it be tonight or in the next two games. Uh, unless Oklahoma City can pull out a miracle, uh, Billy Donovan's going to lose his job. And even if they do somehow miraculously get out of the first round in the hole that they are in, uh, losing in the second round is going to cost Billy Donovan's job as well because it's just you know, with the talent Oklahoma City has uh, and the hand that they will were dealt, and they, you know, all the Oklahoma City fans and probably even the franchise wanted Portland. Uh, they were gifted Portland with no Nurkic, um, you know. And Oklahoma City kind of felt, I think, maybe we're overconfident in the series, and Damian Lillard kind of shut him up. Uh, credit to Terry Stocks, too. What a, I mean, the hell of a coaching job. Um, much better than Billy Donovan could ever do. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Uh, Billy should have been fired yesterday. Uh, we We have been very... Uh, adamant that uh, he should have been let go a long time ago. There's a terrific rant that Thomas did last year about firing Billy Donovan that we could just rehash and do the exact same thing once again. Uh, Billy Donovan is a big issue, Tom, but I think maybe the bigger issue is, and I hate to say this, but Russell Westbrook is an issue right now with where he's at, that he is underperformed the... You know, triple-double thing was great and all. You know, that was a fun thing for him that he was doing, and his numbers look fantastic. But this year when when his shot just went away, and I'm not saying he's permanently gone. I mean, he could have a bounce-back shooting year next year. But once that shot went away, those triple-doubles almost became irrelevant. And, uh, I mean, he, he has shot just so poorly and still taken a number of shots that have cost his team so much. Uh, Russell Westbrook at times has been a liability on this team and that they are not able to play their full growth and full potential. And then the way he's handled himself throughout this, uh, this NBA playoffs with not answering questions from the media, you know, who writes the checks, you know, how you make money in this league. It's because of the media. It's not that hard to just answer the questions we ask. Nobody is, you know, trying to set you up for, 
uh, any criminal behavior of some sort. It's not going to hurt you by answering questions. It's up to you. It's part of your job. It comes with the territory. And so the way that he's carried himself throughout this, the way that he's underperformed throughout this, uh, a lot of the blame falls on Russell Westbrook for these uh, th- the Thunder's misfortunes. Uh, does Billy Donovan, uh, is it time for him to move on? Absolutely, it's time for him to move on. Is, uh, you know, you, you look at the, the issues with this team, though, it you can't, it goes with, cannot go without saying that Russell Westbrook is a big part of this problem right now as well. Oh, of course. I've, I've said Westbrook's shot selection was a uh, liability for Oklahoma City for a long time. I mean, and, you know, the triple-double, all that was cool, like you mentioned. I mean, that was fun. Uh, even though not, and, you know, Oklahoma City Thunder fan, I thought it was cool. Uh, it was happening right here in our home state in a small market. Um, never really been done before after Oscar Robinson. Um, that was awesome. Um, but <clears throat> kind of like relying too much on that. I mean, uh, you, you mentioned that it doesn't, you know, you can put up all the triple-double numbers that you want, but as soon as your shot, shot selection becomes a liability, uh, then it, you know, almost hurts your team more than any of your numbers help. Um, so Billy Donovan is to blame. Russell Westbrook should take some of the blame. And Jones, while we're out here blaming people, I'm going to put Stephen Adams uh, in there making all that money and, and getting shown up by Ennis Cantor, of all people, uh, in the playoffs. I mean, you don't have Nurkic out there. Well, I mean, that should have been it. I mean, they should be feeding Stephen Adams the ball in the paint, and they're not doing it. I don't know if that's his fault or I don't know if that's Billy Donovan's fault. Uh, we could keep talking about it, and it would get me on another rant uh, because I'm not even an Oklahoma City Thunder fan, and I get fired up about how terrible Billy Donovan's coaching job is. Oh, my gosh. It's so bad. And, you know, with this Thunder team, they weren't going to beat Golden State anyway. But I think that for Thunder fans, what you wanted to see was just a team that would compete, a team that would play good basketball and would have a chance to go out there, and you knew that they were putting their best foot forward. That's not the case with this Oklahoma City team. This is bad basketball that this team plays night in and night out. It is ugly the brand of basketball they play, they don't play well as a unit together. They, you know, are, are out of sync at times. They they struggle on, you know, the defensive end. You know, they half-ass it, you know, all the time on, on that end of the floor. Uh, Billy Donovan uh, can't even run a half-court offense, it seems. You know, Russell Westbrook takes so many bad shots. Oklahoma City fans, if, if this team was competing and contending and, you know, making, putting – you know, a good effort out there. I think a lot of people, myself included, would be like, you know what? They just don't have the personnel. That's okay. But when you see Steven Adams, who's way overpaid, uh, underperforming like he is, just those other things we mentioned, it adds up. It's just frustrating. It, it, it you, you got to get the ibuprofen out when you're watching this Thunder team. Oh, no, you do. And, and for a lot of Thunder fans, it's the toughest pill to swallow to admit that Westbrook's hurting the team. Uh, that, you know, you know it just as well as I do that there are so many Thunder fans quick to defend Russell Westbrook. Oh, he was loyal to us when KD wasn't. And that's cool and all. And, you know, I get the loyalty aspect uh, 100%. And, and Russell Westbrook's done great things for Oklahoma City. He's put them on the map just as much as Kevin Durant did. Um, but at the same time, like you mentioned about not answering questions for the media, just the attitude as, you know, collectively over the year. Um, I mean, Paul George is showing him up. You got Scott 
She almost said Scott Brooks. They probably wish they had Scott Brooks back. Uh, Billy Donovan is just coaching travesty out there, just looking like they just don't know how to play basketball. I mean, their talent level, there's no reason why. They didn't really face a whole lot of injuries all year. I mean, look at the tables of turn since last offseason. I mean, the offseason before, you land Paul George, you land Carmelo Anthony. Uh, you, you get Robertson, uh, Robertson healthy again after his injury. You got Westbrook back. Everything was going their way, it seemed. Everybody was exceeding. And now you're looking at another first-round exit against a team you should have beat, against a team that you were overconfident going in, a team you wanted, came without one of the best big men in the league. Uh, and, and then against a Blazers team who is historically bad in the playoffs. Um, and you, you have all this in your hand, and you still manage to f*** it up. I just don't understand. I mean, you had seemingly everything going for you. Um, even you got Steven Adams, who we thought was one of the better big men in the league, and, and he still might be. Uh, you know, there's a lot of times where different coaches come in and are better for one player than the other, or, you know, maybe Billy Donovan's not utilizing Stephen Adams, and it kind of shows because Kenneth Cantor, of all people, like I said, is showing him up. It just doesn't make any sense. Not at all. Not at all uh, for this Oklahoma City team, for the, the way that they've played, for the talent that th that's there. That's the thing is, Tom, that it's not a matter of a lack thereof talent-wise. All the uh, pieces are there for this team to beat a team like Portland in a seven-game series. They are the more talented team, but they haven't shown that they are. They uh, have gotten out-coached. They've been out-hustled, out-played throughout this series. And when you look back at this time now, I know the first couple years, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook didn't have quite the pieces around him after Kevin Durant left. And that's understandable. It was going to take time to repair that team after KD left. But now this team has the other star he wanted in Paul George. You have the center that they were so desperate to keep in Steven Adams that they way overpaid for $20 million. You have a very good backup point guard in Dennis Schroeder, who's as good as any backup point guard in the league. You have the things that Russell Westbrook asked for and Russell Westbrook wanted. And going into Tuesday night's games, Tom, this Oklahoma City team has never won a road playoff game with uh, since Kevin Durant left. They haven't won a playoff series since Kevin Durant left. I mean, it's time for a reality check. It's time to, uh, you know, as much fun as it's been with Russell Westbrook and company and so fortunate that he stayed and everything, the honeymoon phase, it's over. Oh, of course it is. And and we talk about Russell Westbrook getting the personnel that he wanted. We talk about Dennis Schroeder. We talk about just all the pieces that they added. They added Nerlens Noel, uh, who shocked me. I, I think I hope they keep him for what it's worth. Uh, I, they, I mean, <laughs> that's a bright spot for them. But um, we talk about, you know, the personnel. Russell Westbrook won this, won that. Well, they gave it to him. Uh, and so we we throw around blame. And we keep, you know, we've, that's been the theme of the night so far for us is blaming people. Um, I don't think Sam Presti is to blame. I think he goes somewhat without blame. Uh, the only part that I could blame him on is not firing Billy Donovan earlier. Uh, and that's about it. Because Presti has traditionally – of course, like given the Thunder the best shot as far as personnel-wise to play. 
it's just been the coaching. I mean, Scott Brooks, man, obviously he didn't work out, but I thought he was better than Billy Donovan. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but uh, I mean, why are they keeping Billy Donovan around? It, it, it shocks me just as long as they kept Kyle Singler around. Didn't make any sense to me. Right. This team, Tom, since that first year without Kevin Durant, has improved a total of two wins since that year that they were eliminated in the first round by the Houston Rockets. Uh, it was 47 wins that first season, 48 last year, and 49 this season. That's it. That is not significant enough for where this team should be and where the progress should be. And now you look towards the future and you say, hey, Russell Westbrook's 32 years old. He's not getting any younger. He still has you know, four years left on his contract. He's not going away. But with that being said, this problem probably only worsens unless he has some huge bounce-back shooting year. It It's probably unlikely that you see the Russell Westbrook that we saw two years ago, barring some miracle of some sorts. Russell Westbrook's best years now, I mean, he'll still be at an all-star level for the next couple of years, but his very best years very, may very well be behind him. Probably the same could be said for Paul George. You look to the future of this team. Steven Adams is overpaid. Do you find a way to move him around? Uh, there, there's some big question marks about what this team does going forward beyond this year because they got themselves into this situation, and it's not going to be easy to get themselves out of this mess. Uh, the problems are bigger than just moving on from Billy Donovan, although that's a good start somewhere. Oh, I mean, that's got to be your first step uh, is getting ready of Donovan, you know, hopefully by the end of this week. Um, but you mentioned Russell Westbrook, you know, being 32 and, and best years beyond him. Yeah, he'll be at the all-star level, but just look at the way he plays. Um, I mean, some of the best players end up playing the way Russell Westbrook, well, I'm sorry, Russell Westbrook plays. They play tough. They play hard every night. I mean, they just pound and, you know, beat up their bodies. Um, and maybe we see that some of, you know, in the next couple of years, but Paul George isn't getting any younger. How old is he? 30, is he 30, 31? Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, they had the window. They almost had a false window. Um, you know, they thought, you know, no one thought bringing Carmelo Anthony. No one was. I would not have guessed how Carmelo Anthony ended up was how he was going to be. Um, so, you know, you, you know, you take a loss there with the Carmelo Anthony thing, but then that's done and gone. And then you look at how much they're paying Steven Adams after they just were so hell bent to keep him and, and blame them there because he looked very promising, still could be with the right coach. Uh, but you mentioned the problems don't start and end with Billy Donovan. There are just so many more. Uh, and, and, from a team that looked championship ready or had the talent uh, to be a championship team, it sucks for Oklahoma fans or fans of the Thunder uh, that this kind of window was wasted. Right. Exactly. No no, no question about it. Uh, it's unfortunate, but uh, that's the situation that it dealt. Now there's going to be some big decisions for Clay Bennett and company going forward of what to do for, with this uh, Thunder team in the uh, foreseeable future. But uh, looking at the NBA playoffs as a whole right now, Tom, uh, wh what do you think of things out west right now? Uh, we we've seen Portland play so well. 
uh, you know, the, the Clippers gave the Warriors a, a little bit of hard time. They're not too much, but with uh, the way that the Rockets have played and such is uh, we, we brought this up last week, but now that we've seen more of this first round, do you like anyone in the West to possibly mess with Golden State? Another without DeMarcus Cousins. Can can Houston or uh, you know one of those other teams like Portland or somebody, can one of those teams take down this Golden State team? I'm still not buying in yet, but I, I would not be shocked if one of those teams did ta- find a way to take Golden State to six or seven games. I haven't found a team I like yet to take down Golden State per se. I know Charles Barkley picked the Blazers to win the entire Western Conference, but I'm not willing to go on that limb yet. But I do think the path is going to be maybe a little more difficult for Golden State than we anticipated. Oh, of course it is. And, and it's going to come second round. I think their best chance to, to lose is going to be against the Rockets. Uh, I mean, if I'm a betting man, I, I'd take whoever comes out of that to win the West. I mean, you can't count out Portland. Uh, I mean, the way they've rallied and the way the job that Terry Stotts has done without Nurkic uh, kind of probably surprised their fan base as much as it did anybody else. I mean, I don't think Blazer fans were expecting to come out and go 3-1 on Oklahoma City. I, I wouldn't guess that. I mean, so for the job they've done, you can't really count them out, but it's looking as if they're going to end up playing the Nuggets, considering the Nuggets just blew out the Spurs again tonight. Uh, game six is Thursday in San Antonio. Um, so maybe that series even goes seven. Uh, I mean, it'll be tough for the Spurs to win two straight against the Nuggets, you know, game six in San Antonio, and then going back to Mile High City and playing game seven there. Uh, that'll be tough. So you're looking at maybe Nuggets, Portland. Uh, but, you know, the Nuggets, I don't think it even get past uh, Houston or Golden State. So I just think that is going to kind of determine who comes out of the West as long as they don't beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, uh, I, I think so. I, I think Golden State is still the team to beat. You still got to go through the champs, but uh, one of those teams could possess a challenge to uh, Golden State. I, I'm not picking anybody to beat Golden State yet, but it does appear to be tougher maybe than uh, we anticipated. On the Eastern Conference side, boy, I am very intrigued to see this Milwaukee-Boston series. Boston looked really good against Indiana. Milwaukee, the same could be said there for what they did against Detroit. Now both teams coming in off sweeps. I think that we're in for a really good series there, and you very well may have the Eastern Conference champion coming out of that series. I could definitely see it, but, you know, saying that, I mean, I like the Bucks just kind of came out and did the thing and just showed up who the, who the better team was. You know, Detroit, you know, Blake Griffin kind of bummed me. Uh, nobody expected them to, to win a game there, so I'm not surprised at that. And, and Boston, I will say I was shocked that the Pacers didn't at least get one game uh, because the Pacers, you know, with Victor Oladipo going down, other than that, I mean, they had pretty damn good year uh, from a Pacers standpoint. Um, then you look at the Orlando-Toronto series, Orlando stole game one, and then Kawhi Leonard and crew came through. They looked like a pretty complete team, too. Uh, Kawhi, Danny Green, Lowry, Gasol, and Seacom. Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a tough starting five. I'm not exactly sure how their bench is, maybe compared to the Bucks or to Boston. Um, but 
I guess the lucky thing for Toronto is that they're going to end up facing a Philly team who is inexperienced. Um, just, you know, as much as that. I mean, I guess, you know, Toronto has Kawhi, who's finals MVP, Danny Green. So they, they just saw with all that experience. So they have more experience than Philly there. So I could, I mean, I could see Toronto easily making the Eastern Conference Finals, but you mentioned Boston, how impressive they were, and, and that's really going to be the series to watch. That's going to be every bit of good of a series as Houston Golden State. I think so. I, I think that'll be a, a fun one to watch, no doubt. And uh, that's likely to go seven games between those two. And uh, I, I think that's a 50 50 series, Tom. I could really see that one going either way as far as that series goes. But, you know, looking at this Eastern Conference right now, uh, I, I mentioned last week that that uh, that the Raptors were the team that I like to come out of the East. I, I still like that um, as much as I do like those, you know, that, that Celtics and Bucks teams. I, I think that Philadelphia, Toronto, uh, Milwaukee, and Boston, any of those four would not be surprised if they come out of the East. But uh, I would say that Toronto is still my favorite right now. I really liked what we saw from Kawhi Leonard in this last series. Uh, not only what he was able to do on the defensive end, but on the offensive end as well. Uh, I mean, this is the best offensive play that he's you know been able to put together maybe his entire career, the, the way that he's come together offensively right now. The defense is still there, too. And even back from the injury and you know being hurt on and off this year, Kawhi's offensive game is uh, spectacular right now, and he's hitting it from everywhere. I mean, hell, he had all last year to all but nine games to uh, practice his shot. As salty as I still am about that, um, Kawhi Leonard looks damn good. And, and we talked about it even off the show, uh, how he, you know, there are some nights he looks like the best player in the league. Uh, that up, I think it was not the last game, but the previous one before that. Um, what would that be, a game four? I think he had 37 points on 71% shooting. Uh, coming from, you know, a two-time defensive player of the year. I mean, that's incredible. I mean, you know, we see some performances like that here and there, but that's uh, that's a pretty legendary uh, playoff stat line. I mean, that's, in, that's stupid. I know it's against the Magic, uh, but still, I mean, just to have that kind of game shooting-wise uh, from, you know, an otherwise known defensive player or a player known for his defense, uh, that just speaks to kind of who won the Spurs-Raptors uh, trade. Absolutely, no doubt about it. That's uh, th- th- that says a lot of what uh, Kawhi is doing. But Toronto, can they be able to keep him? That's the next question to figure out, and uh, they'll be uh, debating that question going into the off season uh, about his future. Uh, no doubt about that, Tom. Uh, as far as uh, that goes, uh, Diana Rossini said to join us coming up in a few minutes, Tom. So before we do that, let's uh, talk some uh, NFL. The Kansas City Chiefs made a big signing on Tuesday, big deal, as they traded away their uh, first-round pick for the uh, Seattle Seahawks defensive end, Frank Clark. And uh, in the deal, the Chiefs parted with their first-round pick, which was the 29th overall, and the teams exchanged third-round picks. Uh, The Chiefs also send the lower of their two 2020 second-round picks to the Seahawks. And in doing so, Frank Clark signs a uh, five-year deal worth $105 million that includes about $64 million guaranteed. 
is uh, what he'll be bringing in to uh, Kansas City. And, you know, I mean, he's a terrific player. He was probably better than anything that they could have gotten with that 29th pick. Uh, that pick is uh, much lower than what Kansas City has picked, uh, you know, in, in years past as a result of the success that they have had. But I do not like all the stuff that they gave up. I mean, that first-round pick, second-round pick, uh, I mean, that's that's a lot what they gave up for one player. And then on top of that, this big contract, five years, $105 million with 64 of it guaranteed. I, I like the player Frank Clark is, but they may have just given up too much. As uh, Brett Veach, the uh, Chiefs GM, this is another year where the Chiefs are not going to select a player in the first round. Third time in the last four years, they've not had a first-round draft pick now. Yeah, and you mentioned the 29th pick. I mean, probably, you know, he's probably got a, probably got a, a, the best player out of the deal as far as that goes. Uh, but it's, it wasn't just the first-round pick that they gave up. Uh, I mean, giving up, well, considering what they had to give up for the type of player they got, I, I think it's just a little too much, Jones. It just might be. Uh, Clark had a team-high 14 sacks with the Seahawks a season ago. And uh, the, the Chiefs, of course, already got rid of Justin Houston and D. Ford. Th- this makes more sense schematically as uh, he'll fit more of what Sp- Steve Spagnuolo wants to do with uh, his scheme that he's switching up to. Uh, Frank Clark makes more sense at the defensive end spot. But you can't help but think, you know, was D. Ford really – uh, that much of a difference, you know, that significant of a difference between the two. That's something that comes to mind uh, when you look at this change going on. The other thing that that alarms me about this deal, Tom, is that uh, Frank Clark was kicked off his college team for domestic violence, and he's had some, you know, some scuffles and such come up in his uh, time in Seattle. This guy doesn't have a great character record by any means and we already know the situation that Kansas City has gotten themselves in with Tyreek Hill where they're not certain about his future with uh, you know his recent domestic violence charge on top of the one that he already had when he was at Oklahoma State uh, that has become an issue there we know about what Kareem Hunt went through and getting uh, you know ended up getting cut during the middle of the season last year this Frank Clark situation does not really look good among those terms there. History says that the Chiefs even recently have been getting bit in the butt by uh, this type of, you know, pretty similar circumstance. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of weird that uh, with the Kareem Hunt situation and obviously Tyree Kill, uh, kind of how those both shook out, they would take a player who has a recent, yeah, you know, pretty recent domestic violence disputes uh, that kind of is in the wrong direction a little bit. But, you know, we're not, I guess, NFL insiders or, you know, Steve Spags. Uh, he has a pretty good track record as far as, you know, defensively. I mean, he probably, you know, he dealt with his share of personalities in St. Louis and with the Giants. Um, so maybe this is nothing new to him. Maybe that's one of the players he, you know, wanted to go get. But, uh, a little, little weird that they would go ahead and continue on their track record of getting, you know, people with previous domestic dispute violations and charges. So maybe it turned things around. Maybe it changed the scenery for him uh, going to 
Kansas City instead of, you know, out west, that might do Clarkson good as well. Maybe. It, it just might. The, the other thing that uh, I look at with uh, this situation, Tom, is that the Chiefs have limited money they can they can spend because Patrick Mahomes, when his deal is up, which is pretty soon, in, in like a year or two, he is going to make uh, over $200 million. You got to pay him. You have some other young guys that are going to be due some money here. With Tyreek Hill and his situation going on and the money that they afforded to pay Frank Clark to make this deal happen, makes you wonder that maybe the likelihood of Tyreek Hill being a chief is uh, more unrealistic than a lot of people think, that with his situation going on right now and the money that they gave to Frank Clark, it it looks unlikely right now that uh, Tyreek Hill probably gets in a long-term deal with KC that uh, this decision may have already been made. The Chiefs may have already made up their minds that they're not going to put their money uh, on Tyreek Hill uh, on his future now. Yeah, and that's just a shame for Tyreek Hill, you know, getting back and, and kind of being a repeat offender there, but very tough decision to make. They had, they had a, I mean, in a sense, a tough decision to make with Kareem Hunt, and it's kind of one of those deals that just hurts uh, to let go of a, a, a type of player like Tyreek Hill or even Kareem Hunt. Um, but, you know, there just has to be it has to be a non-excuse league, um, and that's just kind of what it comes down to. And, and Tyreek Hill, this is not his first time either. Um, so kind of sucks for both. I mean, there's not it's kind of a rock and a hard place for both the player and franchise here uh, because other than off-the-field issues, Tyreek Hill is one of the best in the NFL. He was one of the best in college. Absolutely, he was. Uh, no, no, no question about that. And so uh, that's a big decision the Chiefs will have to make going forward with their future. Now they're going to go from a, uh, you know, obviously moving scheme-wise from uh, to a 4-3 from the 3-4. And uh, we'll see where uh, how Clark fits in with uh, that in Kansas City. Uh, should be a pretty good fit. I- I'm not worried, Tom, about Clark's production per se. Right now it's that back end that five years, $105 million down the road where uh, there could be issues there for uh, for Oklahoma City as far as that – for uh, for Kansas City as far as that goes. Yeah, I mean, both cities uh, – Oklahoma City has some things to figure out as far as contracts go, and so does uh, Kansas City. I mean, five years down the road, I mean, we could – I'm not sure if there's a no-trade clause or if there is player option. I'm not sure what the five-year deal – I haven't got a chance to look at it, but – just that type of money and, and however much they guaranteed him, at least half that. Um, that's a, that's a, you know, it's kind of a new thing for NFL players, one that guaranteed money. And uh, the Chiefs got their own taste of medicine of, of just that. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how Steve Spagnuolo works out. Uh, and, and we'll know maybe in three years if this is the right decision. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of things you have to wait on. One more thing on this, Tom, and then we'll get to uh, Diana and Ricky Stenhouse, is that, uh, Tom, I am selfishly disappointed in the Chiefs not having a first-round pick because now Thursday night is boring. Now, uh, I'm not going to go to the Chiefs' facility for draft night because you know they're not going to have a first-round pick, uh, as far as I know right now, and, and they don't really have the assets to move stuff around to get that. 
first-round pick at the moment. So selfishly, Tom, I'm like, really, for the second straight year, it's uneventful where they don't have a first-round pick. I mean, uh, I mean, this uh, you know Clark, he essentially is uh, in this case uh, Kansas City's first-round pick. I mean, essentially, yeah, and that's you know, if they had to give just the first round away and not the second, uh, then maybe this is not too bad of a deal. I mean, selfishly, I agree. If I was in your position, I'd be like, "Are you kidding me? Come on!" Um, you know, you already know what his production's like, though, and so you're not potentially drafting a bust. Um, but when you get Patrick Mahomes, where they got Mahomes at, then you're wondering if there's a diamond in the rough somewhere. Right. No doubt, no, no doubt about that uh, as far as that goes, Tom. Uh, coming up next, uh, Diane Rossini set to join us as well as uh, NASCAR driver Ricky Stenhouse Jr. We will uh, have those conversations for you coming up here in just a moment. Then uh, later on in the show, we will uh, talk more NFL draft and uh, get to a few other things before we uh, get out of here today. But uh, coming up next, it's uh, Diane Rossini and Ricky Stenhouse right here on the Jones Report. <laughs> At this time, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome into the program from ESPN. She covers the National Football League, and uh, she is covering Washington this week for the NFL Draft. It is ESPN's Diana Rossini who is back with us once again. Diana, been a minute. Always good chat with you. What's happened? Good to be with you. Yeah, this draft, I thought, may be falling in the category of a little dull, especially for Kansas City. Um, but I feel like it's starting to really heat up as uh, we are just a few hours away. Yeah, it's uh, getting close to uh, the uh, the big moments here of, of this draft. A lot of good defensive players in this draft uh, from top to bottom. You go through all these rounds here, and uh, a team like KC in particular, uh, th- this is going to be a, a team that's so desperate for defense, this defensive-heavy draft could not have come at a better time. Oh, for sure. And, you know, it's one of these groups of guys where, you know, you talk about uh, them as a whole. Uh, you know, we can get into specific of, of who the best ones are, but just as a whole, talking to different defensive coordinators and head coaches, you really get an understanding of how talented this group is. Uh, you know, I had one head coach actually in your division say to me recently, this is the best pass rush group he's seen in over 10 years. So there's true value there. I think there's, you're going to see a lot of players that, you know, they're, 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 they're on the field uh, week one. And I think that's what makes them, them so special. Now, obviously, we've seen there's other areas in this draft right now or at least other positions that just are not as strong as they usually are. And you can also make an argument that, that that's the quarterback market. I mean, there's a lot of different conversations about who's good and who's not. And I do feel like this is going to be one of those drafts we look back and say, you know what, that quarterback class really wasn't that good. It's certainly possible. I like Kyler Murray, uh, and, and Dwayne Haskins. I don't think that that bad either. But if you compare them to last year's you know draft class, those two you know would probably not be the first two quarterbacks taken off the board. That Baker and Sam Darnold would be ahead of those guys. So yeah, that's a great points there. Uh, Kansas City made a deal this week uh, to bring in Frank Clark from the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, he is uh, going to be essentially their first round pick as they traded that away, as well as the second round pick next year and uh, exchange third round picks uh, next year as well. Diana, what is uh, Clark going to bring to KC? So, first before we just talk about his impact, um, I I think they paid a lot for him. I think the price was a lot. And and I have to say, I looked at 
looked at about two or three times when the tree went down because I almost didn't believe it. I thought it was one of those fake Schefter accounts because it just it didn't feel like a Kansas City move based on some of the great ones that I've seen over the last few years. Um, but there's a need. Uh, do I think he, he, he can fill it? Yeah. Uh, does he come with some some issues? I think I think he does. I think that's, we know that. It's been reported before. Um, you know, that's one of the trades, and, you know, there have been multiple ones over the last six months, that I can't wait to talk about in six more months to say, Todd, that was, gr- that, that was the move. That was the, that was the difference maker for Kansas City. Because at this point right now, I'm not, I'm not sold that that's the difference maker. I think they needed to do it. They, I understood what they were doing with this. It's just I, I don't, I'm not sure if we're going to put our two thumbs up uh, in a few months. But, again, I, I can't wait to, to go back and see that that's going to come true. Well, and it's not that they just gave up a lot asset-wise when it comes to picks and such. That that contract that he's about to get to is uh, a whole lot of money, and uh, we know that the issues that they had with the salary cap dating back to uh, when when John Dorsey was the GM, and that's ultimately why he got let go. Brett Veach makes this aggressive move, paying uh, you know Clark all this money that he's going to be due here five years. I mean that's that's a long time for a pass rusher to be uh, to be paid at that high of a level like that. Oh yeah, and you gotta hope that they did their work. And I mean, it, it was risky. It was risky, and to, to say that you would want an older player for that long compared, and I say older, I mean older compared to getting a guy out of the draft. Where you know, look about look how we started this conversation about how great this defense is as a whole in this draft class. I mean, obviously, specifically pass rushers, uh, interior linemen is okay, safeties are okay, but. Um, you know, just as a whole, it's a defense-heavy draft class that you got to kind of figure why not why not dip in there and try that out. But um, you know, we'll, we'll see how this pans out. Yeah, certainly we, we will uh, as far as that goes. And and uh, so now KC, this will be the third time in the last four years that they are not going to have a first round draft pick. Last year's pick, of course, went uh, away with the uh, Mahomes trade. But Patrick Mahomes is the only first rounder they've selected in the uh, last four years. Now that they've made the moves that they have here, uh, th- th- this KC team we-, we talked about just not too long ago, even it seems, Diana, about this being the young team with the young core that was building and now uh, with the draft picks not being there and uh, some of these guys getting older now, that that image that we had of this Kansas City team being this you know, very young group is is uh, is going to fade here pretty quickly. I mean, uh, th- th- this is an older group that Casey's got now. They do, and it is funny how you, you do how much a season has changed this all in the narrative of, of Kansas City's direction, and they're totally the hunted now, too. Um and it is, I would love to look back at how we were talking about this team last year, uh, even even the year prior, obviously before we saw Patrick Mahomes really take off. Um, I, I actually clearly recall saying to you that Patrick Mahomes isn't ready, um, which, you know, egg in my face. But, um, you know, now just in terms of from a national perspective of how Kansas City is looked at, um, yeah, older would be the, the, the best way to describe it. But I don't – I wouldn't put a big – concern mark next to it i wouldn't put a, a big flag on it saying this is a problem um it will be a problem in the future that was obviously with age it's going to be something we're going to have to address next year and the year after but 
um, I think it's enough to plug and, and, and get through this next season and, and, and be a darn good team, which they're going to be. Well, and defensively, this team was 31st in the league in total defense last year. You're not asking for this defense to overnight be you know a top-five defense. If they're in the top 20 and maybe a guy like Clark pushes them over that edge, then we're talking about this team winning the Super Bowl next year. I mean, that's how much of a difference that you're just looking for. It's just uh, a small advantage uh, compared to what you were at uh, just a year ago. Uh, Tyreek Hill, his situation is still very up in the air about his future with uh, his uh, domestic violence case that's gone on uh, right now. And uh, his extension is uh, is going to be coming up here pretty soon as well. Uh, I mean, a lot of decisions that need to be made for Kansas City, and, and time is not on their side with this case still trying to figure itself out as well. Well, it's been shown, right, that Kansas City makes decisions that, that, that they think are right for the team, that's the right moral decision. We've seen them make them in the past in, in terms of what they've done with certain players, obviously. Uh, we saw a Kareem Hunt. Um, look, it's, we're going to have to sit here and wait for the district attorney you know, to make that announcement and figure out what Kansas City can do next. And I, I'm, if I was to, to be a betting person, I would bet if this actually comes down to be something that we expect it to be, um, uh, excuse me, if it comes down to be something that um, would be considered to be a crime, um, you know, I, I think Kansas City would, would probably most likely move forward with what we know what they're going to do, which is, which, which is to cut him. Um, obviously, from a football standpoint, though, uh, you know, we, he has, he has got tremendous value, but uh, I'm not sure if any team is going to step in that arena. Um, we saw the Washington Redskins obviously do it um, in the past where they stepped in when, when, with, with Reuben Foster and um, obviously Cleveland Browns doing it with Kareem. But we'll see, though, um, if the Chiefs go back to just sticking with, with what they believe is right, and then you have to respect that. Right, you, you do. And you, know, you, you look at this draft, uh, I mean, there's just not a Tyree Kill sitting out there. You can't just replace him. If he is gone, no. if he's not a part of this team, uh, then that's a huge uh, void to fill. All of a sudden, this explosive offensive attack, uh, I mean, takes a step back a bit next year, and you, you could see some regression for Patrick Mahomes not having his top target. Oh, he's a tremendous part of this offense and a, a tremendous just part of this team in terms of what he does. I mean, anytime you're covering the Kansas City Chiefs and you're talking to the opponent's defensive coordinator, you know, after Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, obviously a little bit of Travis Kelsey, but, you know, it's Tyreek Hill. And then what? I mean, the timing of this, I believe, couldn't be any worse because it's, it's really putting this team in a bad spot of, what they could do, because who knows? Maybe maybe they wouldn't have traded their picks away. Maybe if they knew this before, well, they probably actually know more than what we are reporting and realize, you know, organizations have tremendous security departments who are able to gather information. Um, I've learned this over the last few years, because just because the police haven't found it doesn't mean the teams haven't. Right. So they probably know a lot more, um, you know. So we'll see how they think they can replace this. I just don't think it it can. And, you know, I'd love to actually take a look at the numbers. I'm sure you've done it because you're great at this of, you know, his involvement in the offense and Patrick Mahomes and how it could directly affect, affect him specifically. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point. Certainly something to uh, look at there. Uh, as far as that goes, uh, let's, let's talk about the, uh, the the draft just in general now. Uh, where you're at there in Washington is an interesting case uh, involving uh, former Chiefs quarterback Alex Smith. Uh, all the talk's been about them 
getting a quarterback. So, uh, I mean, it would appear that we weren't expecting to see Alex Smith play this upcoming season. But if they're going to go ahead and spend the time to go get a quarterback, then it's uh, there, there's a pretty good chance that Alex Smith is not going to play uh, for Washington again, that his career might uh, might be done uh, like a lot of us uh, kind of you know anticipated with just that awful injury he suffered last year. Well, let's take a step back here, right? So, obviously, sadly, um, it doesn't seem like Alex Smith is, is going to return to, to play. And he's obviously been dealing with tremendous scary um, issues with his leg. And, you know, obviously all hope for the best. But the Redskins have moved forward with that and trading for Case Keenum. And there are some in this Redskins organization that believe that Case Keenum can lead a Jay Gruden offense. But there's others that want to see them go after a young quarterback in this draft with their 15th pick. And Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State seems to be the favorites for both Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen. And they're going to be the ones pulling the trigger. They're the ones making the decision. And they're going to make it uh, if Haskins is available. The big question, though, Ty, is going to be whether or not they're going to be willing to trade up to go grab him because there's obviously uh, other teams in front of them that are in the quarterback market. But make, mo- make no mistake, the, re- the Redskins are in the quarterback market. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Uh, no doubt about that. Uh, as, as far as that goes, trying to find somebody there, and maybe uh, maybe Drew Locke or somebody else uh, would be yeah. another option of some sorts if Haskins is uh, not available there. Uh, looking at the board, Diana, just just who stands out to you from uh, from this year's draft? We mentioned it's so defensive heavy. Who are some of the individual guys that you like? From defensive heavy, well, well, first of all, I love talking about Nick Bosa just because it's so. I I just enjoy watching him but also when his play has been described to me and I, I use this on sports center and i think it probably describes it best is you know you when you look at these pass rushers you have nick bosa then you gotta press enter 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 if you're in a word document and then the next best guy um that's how tremendously unique and special he is compared to the rest while the rest are still a minuses b pluses all around as players, Nick Bosa is just that much better. And this is a sentiment felt throughout the league. This isn't just like one or two teams I've talked to. This is plenty. So uh, I, I just think that's really cool when you have somebody that can separate themselves like that when he's up uh, up against, but so to speak, competitive with the other pass rushers in this group that, that are really talented and really good. And you got to figure if the Jets don't trade out, they're going to try to go after one. You know the Raiders are going to try to grab one. Uh, perhaps San Francisco. Um, you know, I know the Redskins would love to go for one. But they, they may be handcuffed with what the owner decides because this is going to be a Dan Snyder move um, on, on whether or not they go for it. So uh, the group as a whole, it, it, I, think there'd be, I think it's going to be the first time we're going to see pass rushers flying off the board once this quarterback scenario with you know, the Giants, Dolphins, and Skins gets sorted out. Uh, I think we're going to look back on this on Friday of the first round and be like, wow, like this has been the most defensive players we've seen go so early uh, in a really, really long time. Do you, uh, have you heard from a single soul that thinks Kyler Murray is not going to be number one to Arizona? No, 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 no. Uh, I've heard other player teams that don't want Kyler Murray if he were to fall, uh, but most believe that everything is in place for Arizona to take him. They've been wanting to take him. Um, And look, I have this 
mentioned to me yesterday, and I thought this was good. Well, not good, but interesting. Um, why are we all saying that Arizona is going to trade Josh Rosen? There is a world that exists for Josh Rosen to stay on the roster and then come training camp. Mm. Dr. Bit, a starting quarterback, goes down. And all of a sudden, the market becomes desperate. And all of a sudden, Arizona is getting a lot more than a second rounder for a guy they really don't want to invest in anymore in Josh Rosen. Also, the other scenario is you keep him on the roster. And look, we know how hard it is for rookies to come out there and become starters and lead a team. What if Kyler Murray's not ready? What if there's something off? You have that option of Josh Rosen right there. Because who's their backup right now? They don't have one. They don't have a good one, at least. Right. So they're, they're still, I think, as much as we can talk to we're blue in the face that Arizona's taking Kyler Murray, I think the next conversation should be, is it smart to keep Josh Rosen on the, on the roster? Because based on the market right now for him, I think it'd be smart. I think you're on to something. That's a brilliant idea. Uh, somebody hired Diana as a GM right now because she's ahead of the curve yeah, on, right. uh, on this one right now. I, that's that's brilliant. I like that idea of uh, keeping those quarterbacks on the roster because somebody will uh, need a quarterback at some point in time. We've seen it in the last two years in preseason where somebody was trying to make a move to get a quarterback because of the way things had uh, worked out the way that they were. A couple more things then uh, we'll let you run, uh, Diana. Uh, first off, uh, how, how did your Easter go with uh, your, your Italian lunch meat or whatever you guys do uh, for for those holidays. I swear, you call it lunch meat one more time on this podcast, I'm not coming back on. It's antipas, and it's all the different meats and and delicious cheeses that go with it. And I know it's not something that that unfortunately you can enjoy in Kansas City, or at least I bet you they serve it in Kansas City. You just hit me to figure out where to get it. But if you really want a good platter, then you need to come to New Jersey, and I will set you all up. But I will continue to have it as the background of my Twitter until the day I die. People ask me all the time, are you ever going to change that? I'm like, nope. So my background will forever be the antipas because, uh, one, it's just delicious. But, two, I figure, you know, you're reading my tweets. Even if I know you, at least you're like, all right, well, I like her food. Yeah, at least she's got uh, a good choice of lunch meat, you know, all gathered together. And it, it looks fantastic. Uh, it does. I'll give you credit where, where credit's due there. I, I also saw, because uh, I, I follow you on, on the Instagram, uh, that uh, that you uh, are, are not watching uh, Game of Thrones. I've been watching the, uh, the, the Jay Cutler, Very Cavallari show. Yeah, I'm a little bit more interested in anything football-related. And Dungeons and & Dragons, to me, just seem like a waste of time. Um, although I have caught a little bit of it just to see. And, I mean, my eyes glaze over after about a minute. As soon as I saw a dragon in the first episode, I started laughing. Like, this is so stupid. But here's the problem. It's such the unpopular thought and opinion. So it's hard for me to really go in on it because everyone's just going to attack me and say you're stupid and you have no taste. But, uh, look, I think I just missed when it was hot, and so now I'm just so behind on it. I, ha- I need to just own the fact that I'm not a GOT viewer. Um, I don't even call I think the other day I was like, is anybody watching um, Games of Thrones? The- I-, I don't know. I like pluralized the wrong word. Um, it doesn't even make sense. So, um, yeah, I'm more of a Jay Cutler kind of gal. I like listening to him and his brilliance. Um, and I-, I actually really want to do a story with him and-, and interview him and find out what life is like post-football because he seems to be living it up. Oh, he does. Diana, I, I've been watching that show every week since the very first episode. I'm all in. Uh, that is fantastic television. Uh, that That is my, my guilty pleasure is, is watching oh, that yeah. program. Oh, yeah. It's a perfect mix of funny 
and uh, you know, beautiful girls and, yes. and catty drama stuff that uh, I can relate to. So I'm all in. It's only an hour a week, and so you know, just get it out of the way and move on with, with everything else there. I, I also saw that uh, that you retold some story about uh, about getting uh, kicked out, ejected from a soccer game of some sorts. What what happened here? Ty, you're really digging up my past here. Um, so long. It's been a while since we last I, talked. To be fair. I know, I know. All, all the bright spots in my life here. Um, I played women's soccer at George Mason. It was parents' weekend. There were a few seconds left on the clock. I was a striker. So when you play striker, you have different roles. It's kind of it's very much like receivers. So my job was to basically box out the keeper so she couldn't really see so my other teammate could eventually score. Um, and I used to have, like, a really long braid. And she pulled my braid down with a few seconds left on the clock when we had the ball. And she pulled it down so hard. And I didn't know, I guess my body's emotions just took over. And instead of just being a grown-up, I decided to take my fist to her face. And I cracked her in the face and broke her nose. And blood was everywhere. And it's all on video, unfortunately. And then I got ejected. I got tossed from the game. And my parents were livid at me. I think to this day, they're embarrassed by that. Um, So, yeah, I have a little bit of crazy in me. And... And I and, and let it show on the soccer field, Ty. So I'm so glad that your amazing loyal listeners now know that while I'm an NFL reporter, I have a little psycho there. I, I think that, uh, that that just shows that you got a little badass in you. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, I need to learn to control those emotions. They still come out, unfortunately. I like it. I, I like the uh, the intensity that you showed. You know, it, you, you got a little Ed Oliver in you, and that's okay. Uh, I mean, that, you, <laughs> you might not be the top three pick, but you'll still be a top ten pick if it all works Love out. Love it. The way it's, Take it. Sign me up. That sounds great. Uh, Diana, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us as always. Uh, I'll come to New Jersey. We'll watch uh, the very Cavallari show, and I'll, I'll try that at that lunch meet. If you say lunch meet, you're not coming. Fine, but deal. Okay, we'll make it happen. Diana, appreciate the time. Enjoy the draft, Bye, and we'll catch up soon. Well, at this time, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome into the program driver of the number 17 Ford for Roush Fenway Racing. It is Ricky Stenhouse Jr. who joins us right now. Ricky, welcome to Kansas, man. Glad to uh, hear from you. Thanks for joining us. Not a problem. Thanks for having me on. We'll, uh, we'll be there shortly. Yeah, no doubt about it. And, uh, Ricky, uh, first off, uh, tell us about your uh, season. How's everything going so far, man? Uh, it started out really good. Uh, probably our best start to a season um, that we've had in, in my cup career. But um, we've struggled as of late. Uh, the last couple of weeks, we just, um, you know, we didn't quite get the handle on the car till, uh the late in the race uh, at Richmond, which uh, put us a little behind. Uh, Bristol, one of my favorite racetracks, we got caught up and, um, you know, got some damage to our car and ended up not being able to uh, to put a performance on there as, as good as what we wanted. But, um, you know, we got an off weekend. We kind of regrouped, and, and we're ready for Talladega on Sunday. Nice, nice. Uh, did, did you have a good Easter and everything? How did you enjoy the off week, man? Uh, we did. I, I didn't leave my house. So uh, being able to uh, – you know, stay at home and uh, not travel and uh, enjoy my mom and dad, you know, visiting up from Mississippi uh, was a lot of fun. 
Talladega this weekend, uh, you've done really well on restrictor plates with uh, wins at Talladega and Daytona. Uh, I imagine that there's got to be some excitement this week. A good chance to get a win, secure a uh, playoff spot. This is is a track that most don't look forward to, but I I bet that that you do with the success you've had uh, on restrictor plates. Oh, it's a, it's a perfect opportunity for us, and, and we feel like that. Um, you know, we prepare, and, and we're ready for it. So I was at the shop earlier today, sitting in the car, making sure everything's where I wanted it. Crew guys are uh, working hard, making sure uh, they don't overlook anything, and, and I think we're going to be ready to, to hit the ground running when we get there on Friday. we got a little bit of a new uh, drafting package and, and package for our car for the aerodynamics, and um, I think everybody's kind of anxious to see how that's going to go. That's uh, That sounds great. Looking forward to it. Uh, best of luck this weekend to see how that goes for you. This season, uh, you've had a, a, a couple of scuffles here and there with some guys. Uh, what's how, How's everything there? Is, uh, with, with those guys, is, is it uh, water on the bridge now, or is that still kind of lingering in the background a bit? Uh, I don't, we hadn't had any scuffles. Uh, I mean, I would if they wanted to, but... Um, you know, we, uh, just people running their mouth and, and getting mad. Uh, you know, we, some of us drivers get a little short tempered in the car. Uh, we get mad sometimes a little easier than others. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's water under the bridge. I'm sure they, um, you know, at least for me, uh, I go out and, you know, run the races, uh, the way I know how to run them. And, you know, I don't let anybody else's opinion change the way I drive. So, uh, I feel good going into Daytona and, and know that we're going to have a car capable of running up front and being aggressive and uh, and having a shot at the win. Do those type of things, uh, I mean, is it good for the sport when you guys are, uh, you know, you might might be that way when when you might have a, a few things going on here and there? Does that, that make you guys, uh, you know, is it good for you guys to, to to have those type of things going on along with the uh, competitive racing to have uh, you know kind of that as well going together? I think you know nobody wants a, a sport uh, that's born, and uh, you know having rivalries and you know, having a little uh, you know having issues here and there. I think uh, I think is good, and so I think that um, you know for us it's 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 always been a part of our sport. Uh, I do think that you've had less of it because of, you know, uh, things that, you know, sponsors might not like or NASCAR might not like at, at different points, um, you know, throughout the last, um, you know, 10 years or so. But I think, uh, I think things are coming around. I think, you know, people are liking, uh, you know, the, uh, the rivalries and, and the confrontations and, and things like that. So obviously you don't want to, play anything up and you know it's it's not always the best but uh you know i think stuff that happens is, is good for the sport yeah yeah I, I think you're absolutely right on that ricky uh who, who was your favorite driver growing up did you did you have a guy that that maybe was like that who, who was the guy you rooted for for the most part well I, I was a big fan of jeff gordon you know being that you know he was young came from racing sprint cars uh you know just the way you know i grew up you know racing sprint cars uh, things like that. So, um, you know, for me, uh, you know, that, that was always the guy that I cheered for. And, uh, you know, when I got a little bit older and, you know, started really paying attention to it, um, you know, what Tony Stewart was able to do in, in all forms of racing, uh, I think was pretty special. 
Ricky, uh, I'm from Tulsa originally, so I mean you've been out to the uh, Chili Bowl a few, a few times. You, you love going out to that oh, event. Quite tell a me, few times. Quite a few times. Yes. <laughs> tell, tell me about uh, about that. Where, where does that compare to some of the uh, the events you do uh, oh, throughout the year, man? Well, that's one of the things that I look forward to in the off season the most is you know being able to go run Chili Bowl, hang out there for a week, and you know, see great racing every night. And so, you know, for us uh, in the off season, it's a, it's a great time to, you know, see people that you hadn't seen in a long time, but also get back in a race car knowing that, you know, we're not being able to, to drive our, our cup cars at all. So I think it keeps you sharp and uh, definitely a lot of fun at that race. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And uh, glad to see that you keep coming out after all these years as well uh, for what that event has been able to produce. I, I know it means a lot to those folks to have you and other NASCAR stars come out each and every year to the uh, Chili Bowl out there. Coming to Kansas, Ricky, what stands out to you about this track and this race uh, from the visits that you've come to uh, over the years, man? Well, I think, uh, you know, it's fast and, you know, it's uh, it's a track that, um, you know, you got to be committed. Um, you can run all over it. I feel like it's one of the, the best tracks we've had as of late uh, to be able to be paved and, you know, it gets some character back and, you know, being able to move all over the racetrack. It's, uh, it's been a while since we've had that. Um, you know, you got tracks that were repaved at the same time that just you know, haven't, uh, you know, haven't widened out like, uh, like Kansas has been able to do. So, um, you know, it's been, uh, it's been awesome to, to go there. And, um, you know, we've, we've won there, um, in the Xfinity car and, uh, we've won there in, in Arca and looking forward to hopefully getting our first cup win there. Yeah, that would be great to see uh, if you're able to do so there at Kansas Speedway. This new aero package that you guys are running this year, how is that going to make the racing different at Kansas Speedway compared to what we've seen before? What's the, what, what's the difference is going to be? I think we'll be pretty close uh, at Kansas, uh, you know, running, uh, you know, being able to run the bottom, middle, and top of the racetrack. It's fairly smooth. I think that, um, you know, I think, you know, for the most part, uh, it's going to be one of the closer racetracks that we've had, to, you know, the cars staying together. So looking forward to kind of seeing how that plays out. Nice, nice. That should be fun to see. Uh, no doubt about that when, uh, when that comes up here in, in a couple of weeks. Ricky, what, what's your goal for this season? What, what do you have in mind at this point in the year? What, what's the main focus that you guys are trying to achieve at this point in the season? Well, we got to kind of get back on track with our team. Um, you know, we, uh, Kind of ran most of the first part of the season around the tenth position in points and, and slid over the last couple of weeks. So we're looking forward to kind of getting back on track, gaining some more points, you know, uh, you know, grabbing a win so that we could uh, secure our spot in the playoffs and uh, and focus on that. But we definitely uh, definitely making it back to the playoffs is uh, our number one goal. Nice, nice. Uh, I hear uh, that you were once on Ninja Warrior, and uh, you, you do the CrossFit. Tell me about those experiences, man. Did uh, did the CrossFit at all help you uh, get ready for uh, Ninja Warrior? How'd you do on that show? It did. Um, you know, the the coolest thing about that show is just you know meeting all the people that you know have you know Ninja gyms around, and um, you know have you know all the all the different, uh, you know, gyms across the country and just meet new people. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. I definitely didn't do near as good as I wanted to on it, but, uh, I definitely, uh, left there with more of appreciation as, uh, you know, how good those guys are, uh, and women that, that do that show. And, uh, 
you know, it was a, a neat experience for sure. You're uh, you're an old Miss fan. Uh, tell me what what's your thoughts uh, on your Rebels going into this year, man? Well, we got two Rebels going into the draft that uh, are going to be pretty spectacular. So that'll be kind of cool to see where they end up going. Um, Coach Luke and uh, and those boys are hopefully going to be uh, sharp and, and ready to go this year. Um, yeah, I haven't uh, kept up too close to to it, but um, you know this this off season. But uh, you know, I think they'll have them ready to go. So uh, you saw uh, firsthand there being the SEC uh, what uh, what Les Miles did at LSU and now he's here at Kansas uh, going to coach at KU what 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 stands out to you about him uh, any thoughts on on him and what Kansas fans are getting in uh, old Les Miles there uh, I definitely think uh, you know Les Miles will, will do a great job and you know he brings uh, definitely a, a big name and uh, in the recruiting process and, and that's number one key to to college sports is, is getting those kids to commit to, to your school and, um, you know, being able to uh, go visit, um, you know, the Kansas Stadium. It was a lot of fun there, um, you know, last year being, being able to do that and uh, checking out the facility. Y'all got a, a nice area there to, uh, to play some football in. So, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure he'll uh, you know, get a lot of excitement going for sure. That's right. I, I forgot totally that, that you were there last year and, and did that. Uh, had that experience. Uh, you, you worked out the arm a little bit, right? You showed that off. Uh, kind of tried out to play quarterback. We worked or it out a little bit. Uh, it had been a long time since I've thrown some football, but uh, got back in the swing of it. It was fun. Nice, nice. That's uh, that's great to see, Ricky. What what is one thing that folks don't know about you, Ben? Oh, I don't know. Um, Something that they don't know about me, but you know I do love all sports. I, I feel like I'm pretty competitive and, and decent at, at a lot of sports, and, uh, and and have fun playing them. So uh, look forward to any time anybody wants to, to play some ball, and, and that's uh, that's always enjoyable. How's it been uh, working with uh, Ryan Newman? You're a new teammate this year, man. It's been good. He uh, he's he's brought a lot to the table. He's you know, a very smart, uh, engineering-driven uh, driver. And so, you know, that's, um, you know, something that, that is definitely a, a unique, uh, you know, trait to have in a driver. Uh, not many of us are, are engineering-based. So uh, being able to have him do that, you know, bring a lot of insight to, it has been good. Ricky, uh, we appreciate the time, man. Thanks for joining us. Best of luck at Talladega this season. And uh, also we'll uh, see you here in a couple weeks at Kansas Speedway. Appreciate the time, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Big thanks to Diana Rossini and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. for joining us here on the Jones Report today. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges back here with you now. And uh, we started the NFL draft discussion with Diana a few moments ago, so let's uh, pick up where we left off there, Tom, with the uh, draft coming up here uh, on Thursday night. And the number one overall pick to the Arizona Cardinals uh, appears to be Kyler Murray from Oklahoma. They have made no secret uh, about how much they like Kyler Murray. That's been pretty obvious for quite some time, ever since they hired Cliff Kingsbury. And Cliff Kingsbury's comments back in October when he said, uh, that uh, that if he had the number one overall pick, that he would take Kyler Murray. And it appears like he will do so. And that will be, I think, a good fit for Arizona. The big question becomes, how much can they really get for Josh Rosen, though? I like the pick for the system and for what they are trying to do going forward. But 
Uh, I don't know if I if I like necessarily the idea of just dumping your first round quarterback already. Even though I'm not a fan of Josh Rosen, I, I I don't know if I like the precedent of just you know giving up on Rosen already after uh, one season like that. Yeah, neither do I. I mean, if you can get Kyler Murray, if you feel like that that's your go to guy, then by all means take him. Uh, first year coach. Not a whole lot to lose. I mean, it's more of an opportunity than a chance of failure. Um, so, I said, hey, if you can get him, go for it. Um, but I wouldn't necessarily give up on Rosen just yet. I mean, you might have a diamond in the rough there or, you know, maybe something that you need to develop for another year. Well, uh, and, and just be an overall great quarterback. And the other thing, too, is that people want to talk about that, you know, hey, uh, Josh Rosen doesn't fit the system that uh, you're going to see uh, Cliff Kingsbury install there in uh, Arizona, and uh, you know that Kyler Murray is the better fit for that system. Good quarterbacks should be able to play in any system. Simple as that. If you are an elite quarterback, you can play in a West Coast offense. You can play in a no huddle offense. You can play in an I formation offense. If you're an elite quarterback, you could play in any of those offenses if you're an elite quarterback. So if they do not think that Josh Rosen can play in Cliff Kingsbury's system, they are saying that they do not believe that they have an elite quarterback and that they messed up on that pick. That's what essentially that they're saying there. When Kyler Murray brings to the table, he scored a 20 on the Wonderlick. Tom, you and I have taken the uh, Wonderlick before. We took it last year. I, uh, full disclosure, scored a 24. Tom, you scored, what was it, about like a, a 26, you think? Was that right? I think so. I don't know. We might have to take it again for. We might just yeah, for yeah, we might, just to update, see where we're at uh, on that water lick. But uh, most quarterbacks, if you're under, if you're 20 or below, that's usually not a good sign. I ended up with the same exact score as Baker Mayfield did, and uh, we all did better than Brett Favre. Brett Favre was the most recent quarterback to have a low wonder lick score that was like you know 15 and win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Uh, you don't see that from guys. Uh, are you concerned at all about that? To me, I think 20 is good enough. I don't read much into that wonder lick. I think it's more so, you know, for us to kind of laugh at and compare. But, you know, through the noise that Charlie Casterly put out there a while ago that they were concerned with the way Kyler Murray, uh, you know, preps for games and his wonder lick score not being that high and such. His play on the field says the opposite. His completion percentage was incredible last year. He made a lot of smart throws. He didn't throw a whole lot of interceptions. I'll take the game-smart quarterback over the book-smart quarterback. If you want a book-smart quarterback, might as well go ahead and make a trade for Ryan, Ryan Fitzpatrick at that point. Yeah, the Harvard guy. Yeah, no joke. Uh, I think it matters a little bit, but it's not the end-all, be-all. Like I said, as long as you're getting above 20 or so, uh, you know, you're you're in pretty good hands. You don't want a dummy back there. But, uh, you know, if you can play ball, you can play ball. I mean, there are a lot of quarterbacks out there who I'm sure didn't have a so hot collegiate career as far as academics go and, and made hell of an NFL quarterback. So, you know, you don't have to be smart to be good, but uh, it definitely doesn't hurt. And I, I would say that, you know, when, when you look at what Kyler Murray brings to the table – uh, his presence is, you know, stuff that you can't measure, you know, on, on a test. You know, that, that stuff, those intangibles just don't carry over like they do. He, he has shown the ability 
only a football field. I think that Arizona is finding themselves a franchise quarterback. The more concerns I have with Kyler Murray, Tom, is his height or his size. Those are, you know, I, I don't have concerns enough not to take him number one overall, but those were the things I'd be more concerned about rather than his wonder lick. If, if Kyler Murray doesn't make it in this league, if he fails with the Arizona Cardinals, it's going to be because his body didn't cooperate. I really doubt it's going to have to do with a low football IQ. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to be exactly that. It's going to be his height, uh, his size. If, you know, if he's taking hits. If Aaron Donald eats him up twice a year, uh, I mean, a guy of that stature, I mean, you got to be, be pretty damn tough to take a hit from Aaron Donald. Uh, and I, I think last year the Rams, uh, I think their highest sack per game or whatever it was, uh, was against the Cardinals. I mean, they don't have a great offensive line. They're uh, the first pick for a reason. Um, there are a lot of quarterbacks who get drafted number one overall in their first kind of years. If they don't get it turned around, they end up just get, eating shit the whole the whole first couple of years. Because in most cases, teams that pick number one overall don't have a very good offensive line. Right. Uh, and that's just the... Uh, that's just how the cookie crumbles uh, in that situation. I mean, yeah, I mean, you got to be a pretty tough guy uh, to not only one take the pressure of being number one overall, but two, pretty much guaranteeing taking hits. Uh, you know, I don't know how many Baker took this past season, uh, and he's not that big of a guy either. Uh, but he's bigger than Kyler Murray. Uh, maybe I would say mentally tougher. Um, they're, you know, that's kind of two totally different guys. Both won the Heisman, uh, and Baker had a pretty good first year. So maybe who's I mean, who's to say Kyler Murray can't go and prove all the haters wrong? Right, right. When uh, when you look at this draft, uh, a very defensive heavy draft uh, with uh, Nick Bosa, you know, appears to be he's going to be the uh, first defensive player uh, selected off the board. Uh, probably number two to San Francisco. Josh Allen, the outside linebacker at Kentucky. Uh, you know, Williams, the D-tackle at Alabama, Devin White, the linebacker from LSU. Uh, you go on down the line, uh, Ed Oliver, the uh, defensive tackle from Houston. A lot of good defensive talent in this draft, not only just at the top, but throughout all seven rounds, you're going to find very good defensive players in uh, in this year's draft. And, and Tom, I, I feel like uh, you know, there's some generational talent, I think, and possibly Bosa, and Allen and uh, and Williams and and those guys, you know, up there. But I mean, if you're looking for for depth, if you need, if you're in like let's say Kansas City's position where you need to load up on defensive players, this draft presents the opportunity to do so. Oh yeah, I mean, there's no shortage uh, of defensive players this year, and and you know we see that from time to time where that as far as like draft heavy defensively. Um, you know, some years we see it where there's no shortage of, of depth as far as offensive linemen go. Um, you know, I feel like we get this from year to year where it's never maybe the same thing twice in a row in one year. You know, there's always going to be some great quarterback classes, and then the next year might not be so hot. Same thing with running backs. And uh, you, you mentioned as far as depth goes, as far as, you know, what can you get defensively? And, you know, the Chiefs obviously thought that, Clark was the best option in, in trading away that 29th pick. Um, but I think this year I look more so at stories of the draft. Um, 
and, and maybe it's a little bit different for me this year just because the Rams uh, don't get the pick until late in the first round um, where I usually I'm, you know, in the first 30 minutes get to see the Rams pick. This year I'm looking more so at stories, and Jones may take in a direction that you didn't expect me to, but uh, who's your best story? If you can, I'm not sure how much you looked at this, but your best story. I'll just say mine is Josh Jacobs. I'm sure you're familiar. Oh, it's got to be Josh Jacobs of, you know, not getting uh, any major offers till the very end of signing day. And Oklahoma, who was right there in his backyard, who he dreamed of playing for, just completely ignored him. And then all of a sudden, he's going to find his way to the National Football League and uh, won a national championship with Alabama and everything. I mean, that's a terrific story. I mean, yeah, I believe he was homeless in middle school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's who I'm gonna watch. I mean they there's prop bets and different little bets on on who's going to take them or if he'll go in the first round. Um, not exactly sure where I think who's you know I don't have a probably a good area for him to get drafted. You know, running backs are dime a dozen these days. Um, so hell, maybe he falls to the Kansas City Chiefs. He might. Um, the, I, I doubt the – well, the uh, Chiefs well, would use a pick that high on a running back, and, and they don't have a first-round pick anyway. But uh, but who knows? Uh, the, the player that I look at this draft, Tom, that uh, that I think is being overlooked, which is crazy to say, is, is Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver, just a few months ago, was going to be the undisputed number one pick. Everybody had a penciled in, said Ed Oliver's the guy. Houston has got a player that – is uh is the real deal he's going to contend for the Heisman and all and then there was like you know some issues that happened between him and Major Applewhite some character things here and there but the guy still performed he was still able to play at an incredibly high level and it didn't matter if they were playing against teams from the American or the Power Five whatever Ed Oliver showed up and some of those things have gotten in his way and he might not be a top 10 pick now compared to when he was uh, projected to be the number one pick. I, I think Ed Oliver's a can't-miss guy. I mean, you want, yes, you, know, you you hate it to see when your players may have some of those scuffles, you know, and maybe not get along great with the coach in college, stuff like that. Personally, I want my defensive players, in particular my defensive linemen, to have that extra push, that extra, you know, jump in their step where, where – you know, maybe in college it's just a maturity thing that they can grow out of it in uh, in the NFL. To me, I think that's definitely worth taking a chance on when it comes to Ed Oliver. I think so, too. And, and I wouldn't be shocked. You mentioned maybe falling out of the top ten. So I wouldn't be shocked if the the Raiders took him at four. Uh, you know, trading Khalil Mack and all their – I mean, they have a plethora of picks. Uh, so I wouldn't be shocked to see them take him at four and – I guess I don't know if Kyler Murray was still available at four. Uh, you never know with John Gruden. I don't know. You know, we always talk about you know, how he loves quarterbacks, and maybe Derek Carr is not the guy for him. I don't, I don't know. But um, I wouldn't be shocked to see Oliver go to the Raiders. Yeah, that, that'd be a good fit. And, uh, of course, Gruden and uh, Mike Mayock uh, sent all the scouts home, and uh, they're doing all the uh, draft work themselves and keeping it in-house. Uh, that very well could be a guy that they're looking at here. A couple more things before we get out of here today. And uh, the first of those being uh, this uh, bizarre story involving Kate Smith 
who, uh, you know, sings probably the most famous rendition of the uh, national anthem. Uh, her version of the anthem has been played uh, by the New York Yankees since 9-11, and it's been playing played by the Philadelphia Flyers for for years. And she's been dead since 1986, but yet uh, some folks found out that uh, – you know that she sang uh, a couple satire, uh, potentially racist lyrics of songs back in the 1930s, and so uh, they complained to the Flyers and the Yankees and said, you know, hey, you got to stop playing her anthem. She's racist and all this. And what's so ironic is that it's actually far from the case. She uh, Smith back in uh, back in her day. Uh, worked with the uh, U.S. government to uh, help finance war bonds and uh, help out the American military. She did everything she can to stop Hitler, and she helped raise over $600 million to stop Hitler in World War II. Today's day and age, that would equate to about $11 million. And uh, not only are they refusing to play her national anthem song, the Flyers, who have a, a history with her that goes back many years, uh, they they have a statue of her. The old saying of "It's not over till the fat lady sings" that goes that's about Kate Smith. She was kind of a bigger gal of some sorts. Uh, they have removed her statue and said they released a formal statement saying they will never play her version of the national anthem again. This is just bizarre and this is ridiculous. Um, you know, I, I, and I said national anthem. I, I meant to say God bless America, but. You know, they could play another version of God Bless America, another individual. That's one thing. But this is when PC culture just gets too far. When when things have reached this point, this is, you know, the, the easy thing would be to say, well, as long as they play God Bless America, you know, just find someone else. That's fine. Whatever. Um, I, I'm not okay with that. I, I'm just simply not because we, we cannot, Tom, realistically just keep going back to putting – today's society morals on history of the past and putting our views on uh, on people back then, especially in a case where Kate Smith did a parody. She really did nothing wrong here. No, I mean, she didn't. And, uh, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty liberal as far as they go. Um, but this is kind of an overreaction, um, you know, I agree with like changing the schools, like elementary school names after like Confederate heroes or whatever you want to call them nowadays. You know, you can change that. Uh, there's a lot that goes back to where those, you know, those Confederate soldiers or those Confederate, in quotes, uh, heroes uh, of the day, you know, they're part of the Ku Klux Klan and all that. So I get that. I mean, that's completely justifiable changing school names or changing building names that were named after people who were involved in the Klan and all that. And as far as this goes with the Kate Smith deal, it's just kind of a, in Donald Trump's words, a witch, a witch hunt. I mean, it's kind of like, come on. And, and you look at the Yankees. If you look at the Yankees back in the day, they're, they're taking Kate Smith out. Look at the Yankees back in the day. They routinely, I mean, this is like a big thing. The Yankees, like, denied black players. They did not have uh, their the, first black player till 1955, and the Philadelphia yeah. Flyers did not have their first hockey player till 1974. 
Are, are, are we supposed to believe the, that the Yankees... The of all this. Right. Are we supposed to believe the Yankees and the Flyers are racist organizations today because it took them so long to make these decisions? Of course not. Yeah, and, and now it's funny that these two franchises are the ones that, like, take down this lady's statue, like, long after she's dead. And, I mean, if she was still alive, then okay. I mean, I'm still, even then, it's just stupid. Uh, this has to be one of the most stupidest things to waste time on. Uh, and it just baffles me that it would be the Yankees of all. You know, I'm not familiar with the Flyers like I am the Yankees. Um, but the Yankees are one of the most recognized teams, and it's funny that the Yankees are the team that do this when they were the ones that kept black players out of the pinstripes for so long. It's, it's so stupid. It gives me another reason to hate the Yankees, and I know I know your family's Yankees fans. Yeah, uh, my mother's not too happy. She's uh, openly uh, rooting against the Yankees after this has happened, by the way. Really? Um, yes, she's very upset with the, the way this is handled. Uh, my dad, not so much, but my my mother, yes, she's very upset. Um, but yeah, th- this situation, it's uh, you know, if if we don't say something, no one else will, and that's why I bring this story up. Uh, I mean, we're we're not going to talk, you know, very much baseball or hockey on this show, hardly ever. That's just not you know our priority by any means. But when PC culture affects sports, that's when there's a problem, when there is a line crossed. You know, I, I draw a line in the sand when you get to this point, when, we, when, when this is affecting our er- everyday life. When, when things have gone too far, it, it's our duty to say something. And, and you guys know me. I have always been upfront and honest with you. I, I call balls and strikes. I call it as I see it. And this one is just one that is, is too far. And, uh, I mean, this, it's, it's terrible that they would, they would do this. And not to mention, you're trying to – you're uh, rewriting history with an intent that is uh, false. You're, you're putting a false rewrite to history. You're claiming this woman – is a racist, essentially, when she actually wasn't at all. It was a parody. She was actually trying to troll and make fun of racists for what they did. So it, I don't find this an accident either. I think that this is somebody, you know, with an a, a agenda trying to uh, cause something up, and, and, it's, and it's sickening. Yeah, it is. It is really sickening. Not only that, but the fires took down the statues and things like that. Uh, who pays for the statues being taken down and disposed of or whatever the hell they do with that? I, I, I would be, I'd probably be a pretty good guess to say that that's taxpayer money being uh, used to take down those statues. Uh, that's ridiculous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely it is. And it's uh, it's sad that we've gotten to this point. Uh, but uh, in all in all, Tom, it, it's, it's not surprising. Uh, when, when we look at this situation, you know, I, I keep wanting political correctness to die off and go away and us to just be more willing to say what we want. But when I look at a situation like this, it makes me think, Tom, not, you know, hey, things are going to get better, that something good is going to come out of this, but more so what the next case is going to be. What's the next case of ridiculousness going to be? Because that's the track that we're on right now. These things are not getting better. Uh, we're becoming more soft than we ever have before. And, you know, if you thought this is bad, something else 
worse is going to come here in the near future. Yeah, and it's it's going to happen. Uh, this is just you know another notch in the belt of stupidness. Um, there's going to be something more ridiculous that will come along, and there always is. And this is one of the more ridiculous ones that I've seen in a long time. And America's against political correctness. Listen to these numbers, Tom. Among the general population, a full 80% believe that political correctness is a problem in our country. Even young people are uncomfortable with it, including 74% ages 24 to 29. The ones that, you know, the millennials that are called the snowflakes and stuff all the time, even them don't like being politically correct. And uh, 79% under the age of 24 uh, on this particular issue. So... Uh, political correctness, uh, I mean, there, there's a big problem, and people recognize it, and it's time that, you know, more of us step up and say something about it. When uh, when this type of thing, you know, comes at us head on, got to say something and do something. So that's what we're here to do is tell you the truth and be honest with you, and we always will be uh, every time here on the Jones Report. That is uh, certainly something you can uh, depend on there. Before we get out of here today, Tom, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. And, and and this is where we have a good laugh, have a good time. I mean, this was pretty foolish, this last story that we did, but it, it was frustrating. Like, Tom Fullery would try to have a good time. So, Tom, uh, this one, uh, this one's pretty out there. This one is definitely very foolish. Yeah, yeah, this is the, one of the more foolish ones that I've seen. Uh, it comes from Barstool Sports, so you know it's going to be good. Uh, headline read, the girl, the girl arrested for texting a man. 159,000 times after one day wants to get a trial quickly because she believes the jury will rule she must marry the man she stopped. Her name is Jacqueline Aids. Um, the joke at the time was a man, this guy should have locked her up. You can't teach that kind of crazy. Imagine how she is in the sack. That was just some commentary from the article, but... Okay. Um, so yeah, I know, right? Some post-text uh, down here says, A woman accused of sending a man more than 159,000 text messages breaking into his Paradise Valley home wants her case to go to a trial, believing a jury will find her innocent while also ordering her and the man she's accused of stalking to wed. Uh, she said, I think it's just ridiculous. I can't believe that this turned into this. I can't believe I'm actually in jail over some text messages. Um, she maintained that her threats against the man's life were jokes and she would never act on. She said the man responded to her text for three months but stopped after she sent the threats. Abe said she threatened the man after a fight with her mother and took anger out on him. She said, uh, if I had a perverted imagination, what would I think? And then I wrote all these weird things just like I was literally playing with my imagination and it turned out that I scared him. Um, and I guess she's in jail right now. It says she could have been out of jail months ago, but didn't take the plea deal because it stated she was to be barred from contacting the man. She texted 159,000 times. Um, she thought I was just the guy testing her faithfulness as far as those messages. Um, AIDS could have walked out of jail several months ago by accepting a plea deal that called for a release of the time served. Catch us, she would have been on probation for 10 years and barred from contacting the man at the center of her, center of her obsession. So Jones, rather than taking the plea deal and being out of jail um, and just taking 10 years on probation on paper and just moving on with her life and not contacting this man, She's going to enter a plea, or she's not going to enter the plea deal, 
go to trial and potentially face time for this uh, because I guess she thinks she's going to win. I, I mean, I don't, Jones, I don't think, I've never heard of a case where someone was ordered to marry somebody. Right. That's, uh, that, that, that's you know, right out of a third world country, you know, the, the mail order bride stuff that you see. Yeah. That's, uh, that's bizarre. I mean, she needs, she needs mental help. Oh, yeah, no question about it. Yeah, th- th- this this gal is insane, and she might be, Tom, so insane that she doesn't realize that she can pull the insan- insanity plea. I mean, she might have that going for it. Um, she also put in, or this is also mentioned in there, that when they go to trial, the jury is, would say this. That she said, they're going to say you're not guilty, and on top of it, we demand that you two wed and get married. Um <laughs> Yeah, right. I appreciate the confidence. I like the confidence, but at the same time, I'm kind of creeped out about it, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It also says that this lady said she claimed she'd been abducted by Walt Disney, whom she believed is a member of the Illuminati and manned a spaceship. She said, does that sound crazy? It sounds like I'm crazy. I haven't seen any evidence that proves that that they're not a part of the Illuminati. Right. And then she said, my mom says they're going to put you back in Rule 11 court. If you go around telling people that this is a true story, I'm not lying. Um, she might not be lying. She might just have some issues or maybe took some mushrooms or something. She might have some uh, inside sources. Yeah, I mean, she... I mean, you, you see if, that's a, if that looks, came across as a Woj yet. bomb, if that came across as a Woj bomb, I might actually believe it. I would be hard-pressed not to. Um... If you get the, and you've seen this lady's mugshot, I mean, she has the crazy eyes. Yeah, I mean, she, she's she looks look. wild. She get the insanity plea, honestly. Yeah, that's what I would do uh, if I were in her case. Go, go for that insanity plea, but uh, but she might not do so. Her text messages were over a four and a half month period of all those text messages that she sent to this guy. Here's the other question I have in this case, Tom. Why did he not block her number at some point? He would think so. Jones, I just did the math. That's almost 1,200 text messages a day. A day. I don't even send that in a week. I don't even know how many I send a month, honestly. I know I used to get in trouble for going over my text messages when I was a kid, and that was still a thing. Oh, I remember Um, that, when uh, you didn't have unlimited texting or calling or data. I always had yeah, you first your cell phone. Other than my track phone that I had initially, after that, I've always had unlimited everything. So I don't know that, what that was like, not to have unlimited data oh. texting and calling. Um, but yeah, I went over times. That, that it sounded brutal from what you know, being around people that did of that time uh, during that time period when when things were like that. But uh, in this gal's case, yeah, that's that's a lot of text messages. I I, I think it's bad, obviously. That uh, you know, I feel for this guy, but at the same time, you got to be smarter than that to, to learn how to block a number. And the the moment Tom, I get a telemarketer that calls me, that's the very next thing I'm doing. Besides telling them to take me off their list, is I'm blocking that number. I mean, it takes two seconds to block a number. Not that hard. All uh, right. I mean, you would think I'm the same way with telemarketers. I, I mean, they'll call me from a different number and I block that. I, I mean, my. I think there's over 200 block numbers on my phone block list now. Jones, I also did the math 
on that again. That is 49 text messages an hour. That's almost a text a minute. Do you think? That's insane. Do you think his phone was high? Right. After getting blown up that many times, I mean, that's a lot of hits to the battery there. What if she uh, she got the wrong number? Wouldn't it have been perfect if, if he gave her the wrong number? Oh, man. So, I mean, someone would have been out there like, leave me alone. I mean, this is, I mean, she wonders why she is in jail. Like, this is a harassment case. I mean, not necessarily even sexual harassment, just harassment. I mean, there's telemarketers that got in super big trouble and got fined billions of dollars for making, like, uh, unsolicited calls, like, to just random people. And, I mean, they got, like, all those, that robocall scam. Like, this lady sends text messages, like, telemarketers call. Uh, I mean, that's incredible. I mean, what, what she outdoes the telemarketers. Yeah, I mean, did she, yeah, she, yeah, she could go work for them. Um, they sh- they could go work for her. Have a job? She's not having anything else to do. Like forty nine text messages in an hour. I mean, that's just like does she constant have- bam, 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 just to one person. Does she have like uh, a system set up? I wonder where like uh, they're all timed to uh, just send out like you know, hey, how are you? You know, like autom- automatic uh, messages. Like on the system, you would have right. to. Oh, you would think. It had to be that way. And uh, poor, poor guy. Like, that's why. Here's your lesson of the day, folks. Block numbers. It will save you a lot of time and a lot of headache. It doesn't even have to necessarily be in this case for, like, an ex or someone you hate or whatever. But just telemarketers. Like, learn to block numbers. It's the easiest thing to do. It will save you a lot of headache, a lot of time. Time means money. So it's a lot of money, too. Yes, and a lot of phone batteries. So, Block numbers, folks. If you le- took anything away from this show today, block phone numbers. It will uh, save you a lot of time. So there you have it as uh, far as that goes. Great show today. Big thanks to uh, Diana Rossini as well as uh, Ricky Stenhouse for joining us on today's show. And uh, we'll see you right back here next week. And uh, as we finish you know, taping the show, Tom, the, uh, the Thunder lost off of a 37-foot three-pointer made by Damian Lillard. And... Uh, I was doing everything I can not to uh, curse a bunch of explosives because uh, I was uh, I, I'm still very upset. But we we kind of had an idea that this this was coming. That that was like the most uh, fitting end for this Oklahoma City team to go out in this playoffs like that. No, oh, yeah, I mean that's just a fitting into a fitting team. You know, that's uh, you know Donovan should be gone. By the end of this week. Oh, maybe by the end of the night. Don't let him get on the plane back to uh, Portland. Uh, just leave him there. And, uh, you know, you leave him on the tarmac of some sorts uh, would be what I'm <laughs> on for. But, anyways, got to run. Uh, follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group, and uh, Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, at TJ Media Group, Instagram at Tyler Jones Live, at Insta Thomas, and at uh, Jones underscore Reports is where you can find us there. Subscribe to the show, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Leave us a five-star review, or don't leave us one at all, and we'll see you right back here next week here on the Joseph. So long, everybody. The Jones Report. F*** yeah.